I am your host, Raquel Ark, an American podcasting from Germany, and this is Listen In. Join this series of conversations with inspiring scientists, leaders, and authors about listening as a surprising superpower that is not always as easy as it seems. Believe me, I know, and I've been learning and will continue to learn, and I hope that this podcast will help you find practical ways to help others listen better while you become better at leading people, catalyzing collaboration, transforming conflict, building trust and engagement. And I'll tell you, when really good listening happens, then the entire group, including you, can feel energized and inspired. So sit back and enjoy listening beyond what we typically think of. Can you imagine a job where all you have to do is listen? Corinne Janssen has been chief listening officer for different organizations in Netherlands. And this is what she did. She listened. She listened to customers. She listened to patients. She listened to doctors. She listened. And the value of listening even surprised management. Listen in to an inspiring conversation with Corinne that has been divided into two parts. In part one, Corinne shares her personal story about how listening for survival as a young person changed to listening for transformation in organizations. She also shares the value of listening to customer stories in organizations that can transform both their relationships with their customers or patients in the healthcare system and their policy. In the second part, Corinne shares very practical insights for leaders to bring listening into their organizations that have real impact. Enjoy listening in. So welcome, Corinna. It's nice to have you. Thank you so much, Raquel. You know, we've known each other for some years, and I know that this topic on listening is a really important one for you and that you're doing a lot of work in this area. And... But before we get into the work that you're doing now, I'd love to know when you started to notice the impact of listening, whether it worked or whether it didn't. Okay, well, there is a difference between when I start to notice the impact of listening and what I learned as a young child about listening. Let me take you back to when I was at the age of seven years. I came home from school one afternoon to find out that my treasured border collie, his name was Pasha, was gone. And my mother announced, I don't like dogs. And that was that. My Pasha was no more. And it was the first time in my life that I realized something was strange about our family. My mother moods would shift in moments, in minutes. She could be bedbound one day and frenetic the next one. Some days she was hardly responsive and other days she was physically violent. But there were also times that I came home and she made tomato soup. <laughs> At that age, I didn't know anything about mental illness or depression or suicide. But, well, I think instinctively I knew there was something going on what didn't felt good. 
But the real problem started when I was 16. My father was diagnosed with a brain tumor. And my mother was incapable of handling any medical issues. So I was left to navigate these largely events on my own. And that was the period when my mother became more unstable than ever before. And the years that followed were the most difficult ones in my life. And I think I was at the age of 21 or 22 that I was uh, ready to go and leave the house. And as I walked out the door, my mother bade me goodbye and say, you're no longer my child. So in a few years, I lost both parents. One was really dead and the other one was still alive. And I think that is the period when I realized what was going on with my mom. And when, my, when I was 29, my mother was diagnosed with stomach cancer. And I was more, how do you call it, savvy about medicine than when I was at the age of 16. The cancer wasn't curable anymore. But the doctor informed me that my mother would undergo chemotherapy that would extend her life. And I asked the doctor, did you ask my mother if she actually wants to have treatment? And the doctor responded very sharply to me. And he said, well, of course she could get treat, uh, treatment. She's only 62 years old. And well, she maybe, maybe she would respond well to the treatment. At least it would give her more time. And I was wondering what responding well would actually mean. I know at that time how my mother's life felt miserable to her. Her depressions were intractable. She was in and out of, of psychological problems. She was suicidal at that time. And I was sure she didn't want to live this life. So I was wondering why would she want more time? So I said to the doctor, ask her, just ask her. And so the doctor did, and he was shocked when my mother gave a flat out no. He was flabbergasted because she was only 62. And the strange thing is, Raquel, that I didn't wish for my mother's death because I love human beings. And I didn't love my mother as a mother, but she was, a, she was a human being, so I loved her for that. But I remember that I was making a phone call to my grandmother, the mother of my mother. And I said to my grandmother, and I will never forget that sentence, this war will finally come to an end. And six weeks later, my mother died very quietly, and finally at peace with herself and, and with the world. I already studied communication. I found out that because of the early death of my mother and my father, how difficult it is to listen to someone 
with a different perspective on life. Because my mother has a totally different perspective on life. And I think that is the start of noticing the impact of listening. Because I had to listen to her to understand, or try to understand, in what world she was living. And and she used a sentence, and I have to check because I want to say it very clearly. My mother said, you have to look through my eyes because my perception is the reality you have to deal with. Mm, That's a pretty strong statement. Yeah. And for me, that is the most powerful experience because listening enriches the life of another human being if you are capable to see through their eyes. And for me, that was the start of really listening. The statement from your mother, like when she first said that, it probably when she first said that to now and how you understand that statement has probably changed. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Because I noticed when I came home from school, you know, I was always very tense. When I arrived at home from school, I was waiting for her to fly off the handle again. Or, well, I I never know what I did, but I was always figuring out whatever happened, it will be my fault. So sometimes I had to run away, scared to death, because I know she finally got her claws in me. But on the other hand, when I was capable to really see through her eyes, I could run away on time or or I could just drink a cup of tea with her. And if I didn't watch her closely, I had a problem. So that was my survival. And I think that after she died... It took me, I think, 10 years to understand what happened in my life and how she teached me very, very valuable things. Although it was not on the way I wanted to have learned that. And when I noticed the valuable of the things she teached me, I could do something with it. You know, when you're speaking about that, in one sense, you listening for you was a survival technique. Yeah. And so it could be that it stays that way, you know, in, in work relationships and other relationships, you know, with your, mm-hmm. let's say with marriage, with at work. And yet, you know, I've, I've only known you for a few years and I definitely have felt another type of listening from you, very open, trustful, very caring and having a lot of impact. And so I wonder if you can think of the moment where there was a turning point where that switched from a survival type of listening to something that transforms. I think it transformed in 2005 when I started to become a mediator. I wanted to be a mediator to solve conflicts between people. And during the course, 
I understood the importance of listening between two people who were not able any longer to communicate with each other. And when I finished my course, I was also a head of communication uh, at an organization. And I said to my colleagues, why don't we listen to our customers? We are always sharing our message, but we are not listening. And so I asked them to leave the office, go outside and meet our customers. And I think that was the first time I noticed how powerful listening was. And in 2008, I was head of communication for a broadcast organization. And there was an issue. And I said, why don't we ask people what they want, what they need? Why don't we go outside and try to find the answer? The answer. And that's what I did. And that's where I learned the valuable power of storytelling and listening to stories of other people. And it was in 2009 when I was hired at the Radboud University Medical Hospital in Nijmegen and tried to become a chief listening officer. Well, I quit my job in, uh, in broadcasting uh, very soon and tried to find out what is the meaning of listening in, health, in the healthcare system. And that one was a really changing of mindset because now I was not listening as a survival mode, but I was listening to people to help them dealing with illness, dealing with death, dealing with doctors. And that period really changed my life in listening. You know, I think back when you when you describe those different circumstances, what led you, you know, part of the, your journey towards shifting from survival to transformational type of listening. It seems like with those first two jobs, the ones in the middle where we said, hey, here's, there's something going on here, let's go out <laughs> and listen to the customers or listen to others to find out what they really need. What... How did that, I mean, I know you just talked about how that impacted you, but I'm just curious, how did that impact your team or the people you were working with? Did that, besides you, when you guys did that? The strange thing is, Raquel, that when I suggested this to the management of the organization, they had to laugh. They said, what are you going to do? Do you need more money? Don't you have more ideas? Do you need another training? That was the moment when the word curious came up to me. And I said, no, I'm curious to the stories of the people, to, to the stories of our clients. And I think they will be very valuable for our organization because we are writing policy at our desk. But we are making policy for our customers. So why don't we involve them in our policy by letting them share their stories. 
what do you experience of our organization? What do you need? Do we give you the stuff you, you need to have a healthy organization? So they were laughing at me, but my team loved the idea. They loved the idea because they said, it is so much more fun to work when you can visit the people you are working for. And so we not only listen to the customers, but also to our own colleagues, our, our, the other employees. And we really had more fun and we became more creative than ever before. So it was a win-win in all the cases. That's great. So now going back to your time in the medical field. So basically you had these experiences, you saw the impact, you saw how management reacted, but also how the team reacted and also the results of going out and talking to customers as well as talking to employees. And you saw this win-win situation. And then there's a shift now to back to the medical field. And now it's like creating a full circle to your experience with your mom. Yeah because you've been through this experience. And now you're in a position, you have another understanding of listening, of the impact of that. And you also have a deeper understanding because you've been through these um, pretty tough (laughs) experiences. Yeah. And now what? Well, one of the first assignments that fell into my lap as a chief listening officer came from the oncology department. One segment of that department patient's population was especially vocal with its complaints, the young adult group. One of the 2,000 cancer patients, ages 18 to 35 in the Netherlands, is treated at the Radboud University Medical Center. And at that time, they, they filed complaints about the food, about the service, about the wait times, about the decker. They seemed reasonable, satisfied with with the medical care itself. It's a very good hospital. But everything else, well, it seemed like the hospital couldn't seem to get it right. And and we didn't know why. So I used the same approach as I had with the radio station listener. I didn't send out surveys or even invite the patients to my office. But I contacted them and offered to visit wherever they were. So in their homes, at work, but also in the the GEMO uh, uh, suit or at their doctor appointments with their families or friends. I didn't care. I visited there where they want me to be. And I would talk with them for an hour, sometimes three. Sometimes two, sometimes a whole afternoon. And I was just observing how they navigate their lives inside and outside the hospital. And I was listening to their observations about what was going well and what wasn't. And as I said, I didn't bring a prepared battery of questions. The only thing I asked when the moment felt right, was whether the patients would feel comfortable telling me their story. And if they did, I I asked them to describe it from day one, from their very first moment they noticed 
in, in some way that their body was not feeling right or they were informed about problems in their blood tests. So I asked them to go back. And I was surprised that even though these young patients were very eager to talk to me, they were young, but they were very eager to talk. And I listened. <laughs> yeah, I, I heard about their first symptoms, about their first visit to a GP, about the rounds to the labs and the tests, about their, their nervous visit to an oncologist, about their first tense trip to the hospital, their first surgery, the rounds of chemotherapy or, radi or um, radiation. But I also heard the stories by the patient's families, their friends, their co-workers. I learned from them how cancer drove into their network like, how do you call it? I think tentacles, like, like, like spiny tentacles in, into their network. Mm -hmm. I noticed that they were ill, but it had so much to do with the whole surrounding around them. They were all dealing with this illness. Well, so I expected to hear mostly about the cancer. And, and there was a lot about it, how, how, they, how they had normal lives and how it went chaotic. How they felt like uh, some kind of pressure cooker of fear and, and uh, anxiety. But in many cases, when I was listening, they were talking about different things. They want to know how they could tell their colleagues at work that they had cancer. They want to know how to do their exams on university, how they could have sex with someone while they were on chemo. There was so much more going on through this illness than the medical treatment and the problems of this illness. So after a few weeks, I, I think four weeks, I, I listened to them for four weeks. I closed my office together with a colleague and I shared everything I heard with her and she wrote it down. I think I spoke to 24 to 30 patients at the time. And when I was done, I sent it to um, the chief of oncology and to the CEO of the hospital. And I said, well, this is what the patients told me. This is what their family, what their friends told me about dealing with cancer on this age. And I will never forget, uh, Raquel, because it was a Sunday. And I think after maybe 20 minutes, I got a, a reply of the CEO of the hospital. And he says, how much money do you need, Corinne? And he said afterwards in that mail, please, Corinne, don't stop listening to our patients. And that's, that's beautiful of my journey. Yeah. So what was it from his, so looking at perspectives, what was it from the CEO's perspective that was so valuable? I think that we heard more from our patients than we had ever heard before. What he was reading was about 
not only about the medical treatment, but their worries about their health, about their insurance, about embarrassment, about confusion. It was so much more. It was a story of their lives. And it made it possible to give much more, no, much better treatment, not medical treatment, but human treatment than we could ever offer before because they shared so much and it was not, it was not in our protocol, it was not in our system to listen to these kind of stories. So they un- enriched the relationship between the patients and their physicians. So the physicians were able to take this information and then maybe be able to approach topics that the younger patients may not say right away because they're probably too embarrassed to. So they could they could bring it up first and ask questions around that. Are there other ways that what you learned was integrated into your systems protocols or with the interactions with the patients? Can you make this question a little bit more clear for me? Yeah. No, I was just thinking, so you had all this information. It was very insightful, even beyond the medical treatment. You saw the questions and what people, you know, the concerns and their questions. How did the hospital or how were you able to integrate this into the hospital and what they were doing? Was it basically around the relationships with the doctors and their patients? Were there other things that the hospital was able to do with this information that helped it to yeah. Yeah, get better? Question. I think I understand your question right now. Well, the word was spread in the hospital that this, this technique was available. The board was really interested and were very willing to offer me this job and doing nothing else than only listening. Not listening only to patients, but also to physicians and nurses and to the family. So when the board was on board, the word spread very smoothly into the hospital. And doctors uh, began to request me when they had difficult situations aroused with a patient, conflicts or medical errors or stuff like that. But also patients began requesting me when they were unsure about how to proceed with their medical decision-making. But also family began requesting me when there was confusion or tension in the air. And the only thing I was doing was attentive listening, asking questions for clarification and giving attention. And people often ask me, why did doctors allow you doing this with their patients? And that was because I didn't give any advice. I didn't give any opinion. I just was listening to the story. And I finished every conversation when a person says, I am finished saying what I wanted to say and what I needed to share. So in those five years I worked at that hospital, 
I wasn't a threat to anyone. Because I didn't say to a doctor, you didn't listen well to this patient, did you? And I didn't say to a patient, no, you have to choose for another treatment. I didn't do anything of that. I was just listening and writing down and sharing when the patient wanted me to share it with their doctors. So I was just a bridge between the patient and the doctor or the nurse. And I think that is very powerful of the skill of listening, that you don't need to have or give an advice and that you don't need to have an opinion. You just share the story. And I, well, it, it looks like I was capable to let people share their story with me. So they use me, and that, that sounds a little bit nasty, but, but I hope you understand what I need, what, what I wanted to say. It was just building bridges where people were in the same building, in the same system, but with different perspectives. If you have cancer, you are frightened, you are insecure, you feel vulnerable. But the doctor needs to give the right diagnosis. And he or she doesn't want to give you the wrong idea or the wrong medicine. So trust is very important in healthcare. And diagnose is the most important part of your care. And what we noticed through the stories of the patients, that sometimes we had a better understanding of the care a person needs than we had before, because I just had more time to listen to their story. A physician only had 10 minutes, and sometimes I had a whole afternoon. Mm. I was just there, and I was just listening, and we had several stories, not only in hospital, but also in elderly care, that we had a better understanding of the person in front of us than ever before. So the care could be improved. Yeah, and I think that was the reason why it became as large as it became. Mm-hmm. And it probably helped create some trust in the hospital too. Trust between because they were- the patient and the physician. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Oh yes. Even though even though you were a third person, even the fact that they felt listened to, then they were building relationship with the organization, with the medical, with the hospital. Oh yes. Oh yes. Especially when the patients gave permission to share their story with their physician. Sometimes they didn't want to do that. Mm-hmm. But, but most of the time they wanted. And well, I think 80% of the physicians said wow, this is really valuable. And the most beautiful part was I, I worked with a physician and one day he called me and he says, Corinne, I need you. I need your listening ear right now at this moment. And I said, okay, I will come to your office. And I came to his office and he said to me, Corinne, I was not only talking with this lady he met about the treatment, but I was asking questions and he says, and now I have to cry. 
And I said, well, please cry. Please cry because you're a human being too. So he cried and he told me how he was touched by the story she told him how she got so ill. And when he found out how powerful the listening was for him as a human being in the role of a physician, it changed the man. And they were talking about the power of listening more often. And it changed the policy of the hospital because in the early years of this century, it was the doctor, the physician as some kind of God. And the patient had to do whatever the physician told you to do. And we changed that because we said the patient is also a partner in this healthcare system. We need both because the patient is the expert in their own body. And we as a physician or as a nurse, we are the experts in the medical knowledge and we need both. And yeah, it changed. It changed a lot in hospital and not only in this hospital because now it's 2019 and there are more hospitals with chief listening officers right now. That's great to hear. I'm your host, Raquel Arp from Listening Alchemy, and I hope you are inspired by this episode of Listen In and find one person today to practice your listening superpower. Subscribe to this podcast and share it with others for more practical and inspiring stories and examples so that we can catalyze a listening movement together. Find more information at www.listeningalchemy.com. Enjoy listening in.